Welcome to the Redhead Reveal podcast. I am Jennifer Pinkerton, your Redhead host, a psychotherapist, coach, writer, and the private practice owner of Pinkerton Psychotherapy. I am a connection expert whose mission is to reveal connectedness within relationships and enhance sexuality while understanding attachment, inner child root causes of behaviors that impact our ability to thrive. Redhead Reveal will have interviews with friends and thought leaders and hold space to discuss concerns while encouraging vulnerability and self-awareness. Redhead Reveal is for informational purposes only and is not intended to treat or diagnose. Always seek the advice of your health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical or psychological condition. If you find this content informative, please subscribe and leave a review. If you have a personal topic you'd like me to discuss, or you'd like to advertise on the podcast, email me at info at redheadreveal.com. Best and rest. Today, we're going to be talking about infidelity, and this is one of the most prevalent problems that is experienced in couples counseling. It really can have such devastating consequences, and it probably challenges relationships in the most difficult of ways. Yet... I wanted to talk about this on the podcast today to really explain how infidelity is so often very misunderstood. The betrayed person is struggling with an intense pain and a lot of emotions. The first question they're usually wanting to know is if their partner's in love with this other person. However, most often it is not usually about love. It's most often about a deeply rooted feeling of inadequacy a skewed inner need system, maybe some lack of boundaries. Sometimes it's about entitlement, perhaps addiction or trauma, and even maybe a desire to explore some erotic interest. It's the thought that the person having the affair does so due to unmet needs in the relationship, but it could really be them not giving enough of themselves to their partner and the relationship. There's often pressure from other influences to right away divorce or in the relationship or to say it's just done. Now, this is a hard deal breaker for many people. Yet, I can tell you that after affairs with help and therapy, many relationships can be saved. Intimacy is fostered with some vulnerability, some authenticity, connection, and that can really shift the entire dynamic. There are specific actions, though, that are necessary to recover. There's, of course, validation for the feelings of hurt and betrayal. And the person that broke this agreement they had in the relationship for monogamy is going to need to be patient and not attempt to rush to resolution. Repairing also requires a sense of atonement. The person who cheated is probably going to be frustrated by this very long healing process. But there's got to be remorse. The trust was violated. And the work is going to be required to reestablish that. The person who betrayed or broke this agreement is going to need to illustrate with words and actions over and over again that they actually want the relationship to recover and thrive. Both partners are going to need to decide if they want to salvage the relationship and be willing to put in that work and start over and seek that support to begin again. Because it's not only about the cheating partner getting help, it does take both people to heal. The betrayer will need to understand and determine these root causes that 
that really propelled them to make this decision to violate their agreement in their relationship. And they also might need some individual work. But the work together as a couple must also be done. The person who betrayed is going to need some patience with that process. They're going to need to have disclosure to share all the details with the betrayed partner and have an opportunity to ask questions and resolve any fears. That is really required to move forward, but it is not a comfortable place to sit in. An understanding of those concerns and a willingness to sit with that pain is going to be imperative. If that betrayer is committed to healing, they can see this as an opportunity to pay attention to triggers and to hold some space for dialogue and reassurance. Transparency is increased, as well as that empathic conversation. The betrayed person shouldn't have to shoulder this entire responsibility for talking things through, though. The betrayer is going to need to release their partner from that burden and initiate conversation when they see that their partner is triggered. Trust is going to need to be rebuilt, and partners should be intentional about that emotional work to heal. All that being said, affairs are not created equal. And I want to talk about what are some of the reasons that people may cheat. I'm going to list 12 that I see most often in therapy at Pinkerton Psychotherapy when I do my predominant work with couples. The first one is conflict avoidance. People who might go or do anything to avoid conflict can resort to affairs to have this non-conflict-oriented relationship. You might often hear someone say, oh God, with my spouse, everything's hard, everything's difficult, everything's heavy. But when they're in an affair, it's easy, it's exciting, it's simple. Number two would be intimacy avoidance. So people who are just not comfortable with emotions in general, and this relays back to the prior podcast where we talked about attachment styles, because someone who is avoidant, this fits into that, and there is a higher level percentage where this makes sense. And so to understand that if you're not comfortable with emotions, you're not comfortable with intimacy, you might use an affair to keep yourself at a distance from your partner. This is all subconscious, but I see it happen quite a bit. A third one is existential, sorry, development. (laughs) Midlife crisis type of affair. This is when we think of the classic idea of someone's in their midlife and they're going to throw it all away for this temporary feeling. And that probably relates to a fear of morbidity, fear of getting old, empty nest syndrome, even depression, or maybe a void in life. All that can feel an affair. If, If you're waking up at this time of your life and recognizing, I don't like where I am, then sometimes a choice is made to do something different that's going to cause them to like where they are. And unfortunately, that's usually an affair. A fourth one is sex addiction. Now, this has a really pathological viewpoint in today's society, but, you know, there's, there's degrees of this as well. You know, addicts certainly can have a poor impulse control and can use sex in a compulsive way to numb that inner pain and to deal with that unresolved trauma. But there's also aspects of just having a compulsivity to seeking out sex, whether you are hungry for attention, whether you feel so unworthy in where you are and who you are that having someone pay you attention becomes just a drive that you cannot ignore. 
Another one would be just accidental or brief. You know, this is like the one night stand or maybe being in like the wrong place, the wrong time, curiosity or drunkenness or politeness or business travel is often fits into this spot where it leads to affairs. Another one is ego. People who need to score or win or conquer, you know, they're looking to derive a sense of affirmation about themselves. This would also connect regarding narcissism if someone's on that narcissistic spectrum. As well as people who might be highly insecure, they can be more prone to infidelity for that need to prove and to win. Retribution, number seven, is also a big one. If a partner wants to get revenge by having an affair as a payback for maybe withholding money or withholding love or if the other partner had an affair or if the other partner is a gambler or if something else happened to make that playing field not level, then mistakenly sometimes a partner can go after retribution. But that revenge aspect is just never the way to go. Another one is unsatisfactory marriage. And this is probably the most simplistic of all the options because it's basically people are in their marriage and they are disconnected. You know, they're not happy. They're not happy with their intimacy. They're not happy with their communication. They're not happy with the level of support they get at home. They're not happy with their sexuality or even maybe a common interest of doing things together. And that can be a really big thing. You know, this relates to why it's so important to have date nights. It's so important to have that continual connection with your partner. You know, there's no way to a fair proof of marriage, but there are certainly ways to recognize, hey, I'm doing everything I can to focus and prioritize the connection with my partner. Number nine would be exit affairs. These are people who use an affair to be the ending point in the marriage. People who leapfrog or lily pad from one relationship to another. People who maybe don't really want to deal with the fallout, so they just want to make the other partner so angry they're done. This is probably the, you know, chicken shit way out, if there's no other way to term that. Ten would be parallel lives. You know, this is where long-term affairs often happen, where it's almost an open marriage, where each partner knows that the other person is with someone else, whether they know who it is or not. They accept it. They tolerate it. They have maybe unspoken agreements that it doesn't affect their daily life. It doesn't penetrate that inner family circle, but a blind eye is turned. And even if that agreement's figured out, it's still extremely painful because each partner knows that the person they chose is not giving them that sense of happiness and fulfillment. And they're not doing their part to get there either. Another one is online. That's just today where we live, meaning that it's accessible, it's affordable, it's anonymous. Um, you know, pornography, um, cyber sex. There's so many aspects of this. And the last one would be unresolved trauma. And this relates back to the prior podcast where we talked about attachment wounds. We talked about the pain that can be held and keep you stuck in relationships and stuck from moving forward. And unresolved trauma really connects regarding infidelity because if a partner has so much pain and such an emptiness inside, they might constantly seek out validation from others to feel better. And the more love or idea of love which is basically attention, they get, the better they're going to feel. But the thing is, that is so temporary, and people are making a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion or feeling. 
So that being said, as we've kind of touched on the 12 most common um, reasons of infidelity, I want to also talk about challenging belief systems in an affair. You know, being betrayed is so damaging to self-confidence. There's this idea that we also form in this duress state where we think that we are unworthy. You know, if you are the person that's been cheated on, it's this idea um, of feeling so bad about who you are and so bad about why did this happen to me and what did I do wrong and what am I not, am I not good enough? And these ideas can really interfere with our ability to challenge those thoughts. And we have to understand that there is a need to restructure that narrative in a productive way to process the feelings. You know, even when injured partners think about the past, they might have this misinterpretation about the incident itself. And all these thoughts can significantly influence people's reactions to events. You know, how we think about it can make a big difference. These thoughts determine how we're going to feel. And in the process of our fair recovery, you know, the rage subsides at some point. And that's when that loop, that negative cycle of I'm not lovable, it's my fault, maybe I can't trust men or I can't trust women, why would anyone want me, I don't measure up, my life is over, I'm alone, et cetera, et cetera. But it's impossible to heal from that affair if you're caught in a negative loop. In therapy, you can work on confronting thoughts and shifting from this helpless victim mode into a control mode by mastering the very one thing you can control, which is your thought. So if you are emotionally dysregulated, you can stop and shift and try to de-escalate that. You can use grounding techniques. You can recognize your five senses. You can use tapping. You can use breath work. You can tap into your vagus nerve and some polyvagal theory. There's so many aspects of this that can be so helpful. And if you see a therapist, namely, of course, at Pinkerton Psychotherapy, you can work with different modalities and approaches such as CBT or polyvagal theory or somatic work to ground you and give you the ability to stay in control of your feelings and to stop that negative spiraling. We can have those distortions and those are just learned habits, these ways of thinking that are not real. It's a false belief. And you can learn this process to understand the evidence to support these perceptions and challenge your thoughts and look at things in a different way. You know, a perfect example is this, is when in the face of infidelity, perhaps the partner only focuses on what went wrong. They only focus on the other woman or the other man in comparison. Instead of recognizing that affairs are really usually not about that other person, but about all the issues inside the person who cheated, all those 12 things I mentioned. And, you know, you're dismissing all these other aspects of it and focusing on that that really creates a feeling of stuckness that's so hard to get out of. So on that, I want to kind of go over the process that I focus on and I think is really the most helpful when dealing with a fair recovery. You know, this in this beginning when this happens, it's so traumatic and it's rocking the entire foundation of security and relationship. And there's some PTSD feelings. There's just this massive amount of pain and loss of control. There can be a feeling of numbness, a feeling of, of, of just panic attack, intrusive thoughts, etc. But the first thing I tell couples is, number one, are we ceasing contact? Is this affair over? 
And, you know, that's important to aspect uh, to really focus on because contact really needs to be able to cut off to be able to move forward because that affair might linger. And a lot of people are under this misconception that you can maybe stop the affair and still be friends or still see them once in a while. And it's not to say that that may not happen in the future, but at that moment, that's really difficult because sometimes an affair feels like an addiction. There are these feel-good chemicals in your brain that are low, this dopamine levels because of what's going on in your life, because of the stagnancy of your marriage, because there were unmet needs or other aspects that we listed in those 12 suggestions. And then here's this person that might meet your needs and flood your brain with all the feel-good chemicals. And it's just like anything else. When you're around it, you're going to fall back into it because it feels good. And that, of course, is before the shame cycle sets in. But once you can cut off that contact then you can begin those steps to start healing. And that's the very beginning because it puts your head in the game and this is our focus. If you're the person that has made a decision to step outside of your partnership or your relationship from the agreement that you've established, if you've got one toe in and one side and one toe in the other side, that's really challenging to be able to see clearly of not only what you want to do, but what you even want. So after that acknowledgement has happened of, okay, this is what's happened and we're going to cut this off, then there has to be some sense of transparency. And this is really hard, but that person doesn't trust you anymore. And we've got to find some way to foster trust again. There's got to be this sense of I have nothing to hide. You know it all. I've told you, you're aware of it. And and I want to voluntarily be so transparent to you to illustrate to you my intentions and my purpose, and how I want to make this right and atone for this, and develop something new. Because the fact of the matter is, the relationship that you had before this infidelity is dead. And you have to build a new one together, which is really hard if you've broken trust. So to start earning that trust back, there's got to be a sense of, I'm open. I'm an open book. I don't have secrets. There's nothing I'm hiding from you. Because at the end of the day, those words don't really matter because you've lied. The actions are what are going to show up for that. The way you show up for your partner to voluntarily show and share and promote that sense of healing with an idea of openness is going to help your partner realize where you are. Because affairs thrive in secrecy. And if there's no opportunity for that secrecy, then nothing's going to grow and it's going to die out. Um, and if your partner refuses to provide a sense of sharing on information. If your partner refuses an idea to show that they are transparent or they're still hiding or not saying where they are, what they're doing, then that's something you probably have to think about, um, about what you want and what they want. And that's probably a, a conversation that has to happen before you go further. But an idea and the way I like to think about with an affair is that the person who steps outside of that marriage and has the affair, absolutely, it's their fault. They made that choice. And that's a choice that they made. They have to deal with that. They've got to try to repair from that and recover from that. However, the climate in the marriage is something to explore because something made them susceptible to do that. And that's worth a lot of attention to figure out how to move forward from. So the next step when we're talking about remorse is being able to show that. It's being able to illustrate that, you know, you're not indifferent about it. You, you recognize you've got to take some ownership. And you know how devastating it's been for your relationship. 
So even if you're unhappy, your needs weren't being met, you broke your vows and you betrayed your partner. So we'll get to that point about those needs. We'll get to the reasons. But in the beginning, there's got to be this sense of I am accountable. I've rocked this very foundation that we had together and to have some sense of heartfelt remorse. And that is the beginning of forgiveness. In order to further that, you're going to have to process all the pain, process all the hurt. And that's going to go in a lot of directions in a lot of ways. You know, the person that was betrayed has a lot of hurt from the act itself and from the knowledge and the details, etc. But the other partner made the decision to do that probably also feels a lot of pain because there were reasons that they weren't happy. There were reasons that they're dealing with that may have to do with deep-rooted trauma, with all these other aspects that have to be addressed in as well. And this is when we really do some deep work. We're working on conflict resolution. We're working on communication skills. We're working on attachment styles. We're working on how to connect with the other person. We're working on primary emotions versus secondary emotions. We're working on inner child work and attachment. All these things come out in the open and we release this out together to learn how to build from that with your partner. And this is where the idea of hurt people hurt others And we want to recognize that's going to just damage the relationship further. And we have to start trying to heal together. With that also comes the sordid details. And you know, and there's, there's some arguments about that. There's some controversy. How much should we share about details in this disclosure, this act of disclosing what I've done if I am the partner that has stepped outside of my agreement of my relationship? You know, and some betrayed uh, partners or spouses, they want to know every detail. Some people only want a summary and some people want to know nothing. But it's important to do this and do it at a time together because every time all this gets brought up, there's a re-traumatizing sense. And that betrayed partner or spouse has got to be in charge of how much detail they want to learn and they've got to be able to get it. So I like to determine a set time of this is your disclosure. This is when that partner knows it's going to be difficult, but they're going to get to ask everything they want to know. They're going to get to get all their answers. They're going to have all that come out. And the person who who stepped outside is going to provide that information. And it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. And there's going to be an answering of questions. They're going to be a holding accountable. There's going to be a sense of owning it. And it's not going to be easy. But once you get past this, then there's a sense of we don't need to talk about all those parts anymore. Other than triggers that we're going to get to in a minute, we don't need to really deliberate on these details because it's so painful. And we check this box to be able to say, okay, now we know. And now we're going to move on. The other part of all this, like I mentioned, is triggering. There's going to be things that are going to trigger these feelings. There's going to be a sense of PTSD for some degree too. You know, there's going to be an idea of of how do we handle this when we're triggered. We don't want to suffer in silence, but we don't want to bring up everything. We don't want to become aggressive. We don't want to turn into fighting. We don't want to lash out and be, you know, hurt our partners even further. But we want to be able to talk. We want to be able to validate and share and acknowledge. 
And the way we respond to triggers versus, you know, maybe it's I saw I saw her somewhere and I was so upset about it. Or I realized y'all went to this restaurant because I saw it in your credit card receipt and I, I it hurt me. Those conversations are healthy ones to have to basically deal with those feelings and calmly connect and get past them. If there's this sense of the partner responding with defensiveness and anger, you're not getting anywhere. You've got to be able to connect and feel and meet your partner where they are in this moment of pain. Another one is compassion. You know, there's got to be the idea of I'm going to feel compassion towards this, you know, hurtful behavior. And you've got to recognize the partner's cut off the contact with their affair partner. They're being transparent. They've had disclosure. They're expressing remorse. They're listening to all these feelings. They're cooperating. They're answering questions. And when I'm triggered, they're there for me. And they've, they've owned this. They're taking responsibility. And they're so sorry they've hurt me. And they want to make sure they do this work and therapy to know that they're not going to do this again. And when that happens, that partner is betrayed can start working on this idea of compassion. They can start working on that healing. None of this excuses what happened and none of this makes it okay. But it creates this impetus to we are now on progress. We're out of crisis mode and we're in recovery mode. We're going to move forward. We're going to try to heal and we're going to have a sense of compassion for each other. And I think that stage is one of the most important ones. It's almost like a salve, a, 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 this balm to that wound created from the affair. Another one is an idea about how you talk to yourself and to each other. You know, being able to adjust your thoughts and, and not have those feelings that we talked about of being unlovable and not have these feelings about if I stay in this relationship and I'm an idiot and if not, these ideas I should have known, or why did I do this? You know, there has to be a sense of we're going to be positive and we're going to build something new together. We are finally, for the first time, going to learn the things about our partner we didn't know. We're going to be with them, holding their hand on the path of healing from even things that affected them in attachment before you ever knew them. Or whether it's trauma, or whether it's addiction, or whether it's any of these other aspects that need to be addressed. If it's intimacy, learning how to connect sexually in a different way, working with your therapist to understand from a sex therapy aspect, these are things we can do to make our sex life more enjoyable for both of us. And understanding any of our own developmental issues we want to address with our attachment styles as well. And that sets us to the place of filling back up this sense of a love bucket. Being able to understand we all need certain things to fill it up. We all have things that make us tick, whether it's part of your love language and giving your partner love in the way that they can receive it. But this is where adoration and affection and sex and closeness, closeness and intimacy and thoughtfulness and consideration, these things come in. If you're draining it all with criticism and defensiveness and aggression, stonewalling with a silent treatment, contempt, all those things... We're not going to get anywhere. You've got to be able to work on filling it up and increasing it to this place where there's no longer susceptible to being emptied. And then with that comes boundaries. 
learning what boundaries are we both going to follow? What's going to minimize or mitigate the idea that we're going to step outside in an affair or being unfaithful? Being able to understand, you know, what do we do? What's our okay? What's our, what's our MO? How do we handle things? How do we talk about these things? And again, in therapy, these are aspects that are really gone over in a checklist of sorts and determined and, and decided upon as though now we have this new lease on our relationship going for we know what we need and we know what we both agreed to. And when you get there, you are getting somewhere But the final thought I want to leave you with is that you absolutely can recover from a affair. Trust needs to be rebuilt. Partners have to be intentional. And that emotional work has to be done as a couple together to heal. There will be some individual attachment work. But it really is the act of being in this together to get better. And while that pain and those memories and those feelings might not ever go away, there can be a forgiveness and there can be a building of something new, something much more connected, much more exciting, and much more long-term. Join me for the next podcast episode where we're going to talk about red and green flags in a relationship. I really want to continue on this path of talking about different relational dynamics really understanding how to match with the right partner and how to create a relationship that thrives. Thank you all for listening today and I'm signing off. Best and rest. You can find out more information about me and about the Redhead Reveal podcast on our website at pinkertonpsychotherapy.com.